The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Uh, hey folks, um, this is Ryan Rushton and welcome today to another one of our podcasts. Today we're going to be uh, talking a bit about our core values. So core values are not necessarily who you are, um, but they are at the center of what we're trying to become and what you're trying to become. They aren't a list of actions to be taken. They're the general compass by which you can measure who you're trying to be. Uh, when our founders were establishing this organization, Ensign Services, years ago, uh, they decided they wanted to solidify the core values by which they'd hold themselves accountable. Uh, I think at first they came up with five or so at the beginning, and, and then really within a few years, uh, they increased them to seven. And I can't remember which ones are which necessarily, I but, I, but I know Love One Another was was an original one and, and some stuff like that. I, I'd have to ask Christopher That's to good. get confirmation and, on those. And, and you just heard him speaking. I'm sure many of you now know the voice sorry, of the Clayton Christensen. That's okay. I can <laughs> I I'm so right now. excited to I'm, say something. <laughs> and I am, am here today with Clayton Christensen. Um, and obviously, we're going to be talking with him today about Caplico, which um, is how most folks do know our core values by the acronym Caplico. So we're going to talk with him about Caplico to get a little bit deeper understanding of why these core values um, and where they come from and what they actually mean. Yeah. So, Clay, maybe for simplicity's sake, let's just go in order of Caplico, and we'll start with customer second. Uh, doesn't the patient come first? Yeah, that's one that uh, you know I could jokingly say, no, we don't like the patient, you know. But but obviously, it's it's one that raises eyebrows, and I, I think it's sort of listed that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, why don't we say employee first, and mm -hmm. and maybe it's a little bit for shock value, um, but but. You know, in the end, I think my favorite way to understand customer second comes from uh, the, the training video that I'm notorious or, or was notorious for showing a gazillion times because I was a big fan of it, am a big fan of it. And that's green and clean. Yeah. And it's it's the story of a, a dad who's who is teaching his son to take care of the yard. And, and he keeps saying to the son, hey, all we care about, son, is green and clean. Mm -hmm. How you do it's up to you. You boss me. I'm, I'm here to help you. All of that stuff. And in the end, the boy doesn't do anything. He, he doesn't take care of the yard. He, he mm -hmm. was kind of excited to make this deal, but, but the whole method didn't work. And so he's realizing that his yard is getting really bad. Mm -hmm. Things are starting to fall apart. It's embarrassing to the neighbors. <laughs> right. And so he's getting ready to chew out the sun and say, how dare you? This is embarrassing. You know, we, mm -hmm. you get out there and, and you've got to start taking care of the yard. And then and then he says, he realizes that if he does that, it defeats the whole purpose. And then he says, okay, bite your tongue, reaffirm your purpose. And then he says this phrase, raise boys, not grass. 
That's a, that's a great that's a great phrase. And and when he says that, that to me just smacks me in the face of customer second. It's this hmm. idea that that we want a green and clean yard. We want a great product, mm-hmm. but the way we're going to get there is by raising boys, not grass. That we're going to be developing people. Look, customer second. I, I sometimes hear people say, you know, customer second. Okay, we've just got to be nice and soft and, and cuddly with mm-hmm. our employees. That's not necessarily what it means. Customer second means we are focused on developing them into the best that they can be, and then quality care can take place. Hmm. So we have to become obsessed with developing leaders around us. We're we're not walking around, you know, back to the symbolism, yelling about how the lawn is yellow and, mm-hmm. and you know, get out there. And I, I care more about that lawn than anything else. Right. We care about the boy that right. is trying to take care of the lawn. Mm-hmm. We're walking around wondering what else we can do to take care of that boy. And... This is a hard one. It's one of the ones we struggle with the most uh, or that I've seen operations struggle with the most is that uh, because in this field, your facilities are so regulated. Um, You have people constantly judging your lawn. Uh, You're you're tempted to to do it yourself and and yell at the people to do better because of the pressure that you're under. And, And again, like the father says, stop. Reaffirm your purpose, raise boys, not grass. And that's what customer second means to me. Love and take care of your people, yes, but also push them and encourage them and help them to do more than they ever thought they could. Mm. Almost like a great personal trainer. Um, Some might even resent you a little bit. Like you would a really good personal trainer. Like how right. dare they put me through what <laughs> this they pain just, and suffering. Just, I mean, you know, Sean might re- resent you a little bit. You you worked out with him and caused him to throw up the other day. It was, day, it was right? a rough night for Sean. So so uh, so there there's almost a but but you get the best out of them yeah. and eventually they appreciate you because you've made them into more than they ever thought they could be. And I'll tell you, it's it's really, for me, it's the difference between a level four leader and a level five leader uh, from the book Good to Great. Level four leaders oftentimes are succeeding because they're strapping everybody on their back mm-hmm. and they're they're an incredibly dynamic leader and they're going to make sure that that facility is successful because of them. But a level five leader is a multiplier. They're doing really well. They're succeeding because they've developed great leaders all around them. And, and to me, that's what customer second means. That's, that's a great explanation, Clay. Thank you. So with customer second, I'm really focusing on on developing my people. Yeah. Um, and, and really what we're saying is when when I do that, quality care is going to happen. Yeah. Um, green and clean will happen. That's, that's great. Uh, so now accountability. That seems like an obvious one, but maybe you could, could really help define it for us. Um, and, and why we should consider it a core value. You know, I was talking the other day to my brother, my oldest brother, Corey, who's mm-hmm. uh, CEO of Plum Healthcare. And, and uh, he was claiming, he said, I don't think there's any difference between accountability and ownership. Mm-hmm. And, and we were kind of talking about that. And I feel like there is, but mm-hmm. it's almost hard to... Dif- so, so we'll talk through each of these and eventually see if we can understand the difference. Okay. So so here's what accountability means to me. And I'll, I'll say this slowly so that you can process this. Thank you. Accountability. <laughs> you, you in particular. I not, need it very, very slow. Very Everybody slow else is a lot faster. I am where I am today because of what I did yesterday. And I will be where I will be tomorrow because of what I do today. 
Okay. Right? Not outside forces. Not I, I'm not a victim. I'm accountable for the decisions that I have made and that I am making, and they directly lead to results. Okay. And look, every core value probably deserves its own podcast. I know we've done two on ownership, right. and we've probably done three or more on, <laughs> on customer second right. and, and accountability you know, maybe, maybe there needs to be a podcast on on crucial accountability or accountability discussions or something like that. But let's summarize it here. I, I think far too often, and I know I'm sounding like a broken record when I say this, and for some of you listeners, Vanessa, you probably don't know what a record is, nor what a broken <laughs> one sounds like. Um, but we tend to think of holding people accountable when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Something went wrong. And so I need to hold them accountable. And yes, that is important, but we need to be just as passionate about holding people accountable when things go right. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is when we hold people accountable positively, like I've said in the past, we tend to be too general. Right. You're doing a great right. job. Right. Right. Uh, but but when we hold people accountable for, for uh, things going wrong, we're very specific. Your charting was incorrect. You put it in the wrong place. You need to do this. You need to put that down. And that's okay, but we need to be more specific with positive accountability. Yeah. Uh, that's I, a great suggestion. I love I how when that. you enter a room with a family member, uh, you, you treat those family members like you're in their home. I mean, it's a very specific praise right. for a CNA, right. for for a housekeeper. And look, here, here are just some important points on accountability that I, I guess I'd positive accountability, what we just talked about can be one of the most powerful tools in an effective leader's tool chest that he or she does not use enough. Uh, Just realize that you're not using it enough. And if you use it more effectively, it will really help you. And remember, accountability implies measurement of the right things. Um, Everyone should always know where they stand because we're so clear in our accountability discussions, right? Mm -hmm. You should never terminate somebody and they're they're surprised or or, there should just be absolute clarity because clarity is kind. And not just accountability isn't just about holding each other account. It's about seeking feedback with kind of that culture of accountability. We need to have that culture where we're asking people, hey, what do you see? What can I be better at? Uh, you know, because otherwise you, without accountability, you go home at night wondering if your day was worthwhile. And and so we need to seek that out. Look, poor employees shy away from accountability. Great ones seek it. Yeah. That, so if you want to be a yeah. great one, Seek it. seeker of accountability. <laughs> no, and that and that makes sense. Um, I think one of the hardest things to do as a leader, though, is is to have those negative accountability discussions. Uh, it's hard to say the hard things to people. Yeah, and and I'm not very good at it. I mean, I I agree. It's 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 one of those things that um, there are lots of things as a leader that you often don't want to do. I've asked the question before to people, uh, and I hope I don't digress too much on this. I've asked the question to leaders that I've interviewed, why do you want to be a leader? And Mm -hmm. it's funny, that question stumps a lot of people quite a bit, you know, because I I don't know, I just thought it was (laughs) a natural progression. There's Yeah, there's two general answers to that. And the the one is kind of what you're saying, well, I've worked hard all my life, and so I deserve Mm -hmm. leadership. Mm Mm-hmm. The second one is is they feel it's sort of a calling. They want to serve. They want to lift others, and they feel they have that capability. 
And I've found that people that are in the first category that sort of see leadership as a reward for mm -hmm. all of their hard work, they're the ones that have a hard time doing the things that they don't like doing as leaders. Yeah, that, Does that, makes, makes, that sense? makes sense. But those that, that really feel like it's a calling, that feel like it's a position of service that they're in, they're the ones that are much more willing to have these tough discussions with people. So, so... For me, I think it's great that accountability follows customer second mm -hmm. because I've learned that it's a lot easier to tell people hard things, one, if I have a great relationship with them. Okay. That 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 they know that I care about them. They know that I love them. They they know that I want them to be successful. That makes they sense. don't doubt that. And then two, if I have been crystal clear on the many positive things that they're doing right. Meaning, meaning for everything that I'm asking them to correct, I've probably told them nine things that they're doing well specifically. And if I have that relationship and I've been very good with positive accountability, mm -hmm. I'm a hundred times more effective with those tough discussions that I need to have with people. No, that that, that really does help. Um, I really want to work on my positive accountability and my relationships and see how, see how that will help me with the tougher conversations that you've got to have and as a leader. I, and, and I think you've sure said you've been working on it in the past and you've said that you've seen results. Yeah, oh, and, ab absolutely. And, I, I, yeah. I, you know, especially I think the, the, the relationship point. I mean, just having really great relationships with people and focusing on positive things to hold them accountable for specific things to hold them accountable for yeah like let's, tr let's try vanessa you're really good at recording these podcasts you're phenomenal at it you done to the recording the editing she's really happy <laughs> she's she's <laughs> so <laughs> content she's blushing all right we couldn't in fact do these without vanessa That's right we would just be talking to each other <laughs> <laughs> and we do enough of that <laughs> um okay <laughs> So uh, thank you. I'm, I'm definitely sure that's going to continue to help me. Um, all right. Next one. Passion for learning. So why did that one make the cut? So I, I don't I don't know the story. I'm only going to guess this. And, and Christopher can correct me. And I, I'm sure he will if I'm wrong. Uh, I do know that I've never met anyone more passionate about learning than um, Roy Christensen, one of our, our founders mm -hmm. uh, at a family reunion a, a couple of years back he was um he was talking to a lot of the kids and the grandkids and he likes to take time to you know to chat with us and and uh kind of teach us and and he talked about his upbringing and and he wasn't really encouraged in learning growing up he was he worked in the copper mines and in mm -hmm. kennecott uh, in in utah and and his dad thought that Pretty much he was set in life and that he should just pursue a career through the copper mines. Mm. My dad wanted to go to college and and uh, his dad thought that was kind of a waste of time, but he went against his father's wishes and he, he sort of developed a, a love of learning. Mm -hmm. And to this day, at, at age 86, I I mean, he probably reads still, you know, four books a month. That's, I mean, he's just impressive. constantly really reading. And, and, and he told all the kids and grandkids at this meeting how important it was. His message for them and for us was seek learning from the best books, just to become passionate about learning. He says that the world is constantly and will always be changing. And in a world of change, the learner is the one that's going to inherit the earth. Hmm. I remember once talking to a friend of mine, Don Laws. He's the former, I don't, I don't know if he still is currently, he's one of the founders of, of North American Healthcare. Uh, and, and, and was the chairman of the board, he said to me, he said, your dad knows more stuff 
about more stuff <laughs> than anyone that I know. That's a great, that's great. And, that's a great he's just, and it's not just for his career. It's just, and we're not saying, hey, just be nurses, be passionate about learning nursing right. or whatever. Right. We're saying just be passionate about learning. Want to be somebody that progresses, that grows. And, and I mean, you might remember what you learned in school, but, but. So much of that has changed, right. right? If if you rest your laurels on the fact that you got straight A's but but never develop a love of learning, you can't progress. Medical knowledge changes, regulations change, the world is changing. And so we have to be people that develop a passion for learning if we're going to become, you know, an ensign to the changing world. Yeah, no, that 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 makes a ton of sense, Clayton. Luckily, I had a, a passion and love of learning instilled in me at a, at an early young age. Um, but I still do need to continue to read more. Um, and I, I I do know your dad as well. And I've I've been over and seen, and seen I've seen the ridiculous li- <laughs> library over there, and and that made me uh, feel a little a embarrassed about my p- yeah. pathetically small library. So I uh, want to get a big library. I don't want to have to read all the books, <laughs> but I just want people to think I think. Read wow, all the look books. all of the books yeah. Clayton has read. I'm very important. I have many leather bound books my apartment <laughs> smells of rich mahogany that's a little movie reference out there for all of you yeah. thank you i don't guess i'll have to do some research over your head all right it's okay that one's over mine too all right we'll see if anybody gets it <laughs> um okay next next one yeah. um love one another um shouldn't it be something more like uh, uh respect one another uh respect your colleagues very well yeah there's another or, one or that raises eyebrows business setting feels a little bit uh little. religious or whatever to to be in business but i know this was one of the original ones uh, to be clear, this is not loving on one another, right? This is love one okay, another. Okay, okay. All right, sure I've got that clear now. We're not right, misunderstanding thank you. Thank you. that for HR purposes. Look, I, think of the difference between like what you're saying. If I mm-hmm. if I respect you, if I tolerate you, if I just get along with you or whatever versus I truly have love for you, when there are tough things you need to know, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to avoid sharing those tough things with you out of respect, mm. out of tolerance, out of uh, in the name of just getting along and bearing. Right. But right. but love one another adds kind of a new aspect to it because I'm not going to let someone else deal with that. If I love you, I'm going to be much more willing to have those tough conversations mm. with you. The the example I use frequently is you know I, my kids and their friends. Mm-hmm. Their friends might do crazy things that make me roll my eyes, but but when my you know sons do those same things, you jump in. I have tough conversations yeah. with them that might even make them resent me hmm. for it, but I love them so much and I so badly want them to succeed in life that I'm willing to have those tough conversations. So so love one another isn't you know soft and fluffy. It's what drives us to customer second. It's what drives accountability and and so many other core values. We have to find a way to get our feelings right with people mm-hmm. in, in all aspects of our job, including firing someone. Yes, I believe that you should check yourself mm. um, that that you love the person that you're having this very difficult conversation with mm-hmm. before having that conversation because we need to get to the point where we really want to do what's best for them. And that's that, that, that makes sense, Clay. Thank you. That That's great. Um, but <laughs> some people... Not mentioning any, not looking at anybody, are a lot less lovable than other people. Um, and I can't just decide to Staring love right them, right? Me. Can I, Clayton? I just can't decide to love Clayton. I mean, I guess I can fake it. Fake it till you make it. Um, 
You know, that's it's a tough question because my experience tells me that you're right. Mm -hmm. But I, a hmm. lot of people know the the book, um, A Man's Search for Meaning, written by Viktor Frankl, a survivor of the, the Holocaust. And, and he makes the point that in between stimulus and response, in between, in between what happens to us and how we respond to what happens to us, mm -hmm. um, there is a space where we get to choose. Hmm. Um, again, a Holocaust survivor who, who had just horrible things happen to him where if anybody can say they're a victim or if anybody has the right to say he made me so angry, mm -hmm. I would think it would be him. And yet he's saying people don't make us angry. We choose to be angry. People don't make us not love them. We choose not to love them. Hmm. And I've, I've found that one of the best ways to do that, to actually check our feelings for people, is to change the stories that we tell about them. Hmm. The the common example I use is, you know, because I live in Southern California and I drive on the freeways and hmm. sometimes suffer from uh, a disease <laughs> called road rage. What? Uh, I've never heard know, of this. <laughs> and somebody comes and cuts me off. And, and what's the story I tell myself about them, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I, I'm sitting there saying they're arrogant. Right, they think their right. time is more valuable than mine. Who do they think they are? And, and all of these horrible stories that rile me up and create these feelings of, of now I can tell myself a different story. Right. They're late to the hospital. They're trying to. And it doesn't matter if the story I tell myself is true or not, because treating somebody wrong for the right reasons is still treating them wrong and treating them right for the wrong reasons, <laughs> still, is treating, still them right. treating them right. Yeah. And so all I can control are the stories that I tell myself about people. Now, it doesn't hmm. mean that I don't still hold them accountable. I won't repeat the story, but the story of uh, uh, Stephen Covey on the on the subway and and he's sort of chastising this father, but he learns that the kid's mother has passed away. And, hmm. you know, if you don't know that story, you can go look it up. Uh he still needs to tell the father and help the father kind of rein in the kids and control them. But his attitude towards the father changes from I've got to correct you yeah. to I want to help you. you. Yeah. I want to support you. That's cool. And so so if we change the story that we tell ourselves about people, when an employee shows up late for work, I still hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. But I can choose how I feel about them, which will change how I treat them. And will change, frankly, how I correct them if I tell myself better stories. And mm. I, I'll just finish with this phrase that, that has a lot of impact on me. Everyone around you is dealing with things that you don't know about. Struggles, challenges. You don't need to know what those challenges are. Just know that, that they're going through them and be kind. And that's, that's how we choose to love one another. Yeah, I, I I've noticed I in in life um, tend to tell those bad stories and make the negative assumptions. And if you're going to assume something, yeah. assume a positive behind. I like your freeway descriptions. I think a great example. Um, just something else for me to work on, Clay. Thank you. You're good at pointing those <laughs> That's out. That's why I'm here. I'm, here. I'm <laughs> Ryan Russian's personal therapist. Um, all right, intelligent risk taking. Um, I've I've heard you say before uh, that this is one that that you think we struggle with. Um, quite a bit and so maybe you could talk a bit about that yeah i think this one along with customer second i but i but i think 
I've seen so many get a lot better at customer second. So I, I think I'd almost put intelligent risk taking now at the bottom of of ones that that I see people struggling with. I I just recently finished a book called uh, Loon Shots. It's a it's a play on long shots and how the most successful companies in the world have become have become that way because they've created systems that allow for intelligent risks. Um, I, I, you know, it's many people have been in my trainings when I've asked one of my absolute favorite questions and I, we have the debate, do we want our employees to make mistakes? Great Hmm. majority from the beginning say, yes, we do. I'm in the camp of no, we don't. And we have this debate and, you know, who's right or wrong is not the point of the debate necessarily. My answer to that is I don't. I don't want my people making mistakes. I I want a perfect survey. I want perfect outcomes. Hmm. Uh, you know, if, if I'm pitching <laughs> right. in a baseball game, I right. want to right. pitch a perfect game. Right. You, I, I can't. There's no way I could say, "Oh, I, I I want to you know have several deficiencies, or I want to walk several batters, or pitch several home runs." But I also know that perfection isn't real. My point from the debate is that I need to somehow deal with my human desire of perfection and fight against that sort of tense tendency Mm -hmm. that gets upset every time perfection isn't reached, right? right? I've got to find a way to create a safe space for mistakes. One of my favorite examples is I I have a couple of boys who love playing basketball and and they're, they're good shooters. But they perform differently for different coaches. And mm-hmm. I, I've noticed my oldest son is was great three-point shooter. And, and I noticed when he had a coach that recognized he was a shooter and just said, hey, shooter's got to shoot. You take the shot. And if you miss, you take another shot. And if you miss, you take another shot. When he had that freedom to know that missing wasn't going to be the end of the world. Right. But if he had a coach that uh, that was, you know, benched him as soon as he missed his first shot yeah there was a uh, he didn't shoot as well because he had sort of that tense Tense. do i take the shot do i not what if i miss and he was just too scared to take it and so he would shoot so much less which means he would score so much less that's so so an intelligent risk is one that just pays off um can (laughs) can can an intelligent risk fail i I guess what i'm trying to figure out is uh what makes a risk intelligent because the core value isn't uh you know uh risk taking yeah uh, an intelligent risk can fail. Um, we're, we're not, you know, it, it almost seems like a tricky term because mm-hmm. the core value isn't risk-taking. It's right. intelligent risk-taking. But but go back to my basketball example. If my son gets in the game and starts, and I say, you're a good shooter, shooters have to shoot, and he mm-hmm. starts taking hook shots from half court, <laughs> that's not an intelligent risk. Not it's that's not fair. a high percentage <laughs> shot. If he's taking three pointers that I know he can make mm-hmm. at a high percentage basis, mm-hmm then that is an intelligent risk whether or not it goes in. So how do I make sure that, you know, risks are intelligent? First, get the opinions of others. Find out what, hey, you're good at that shot. You should keep doing it. Hey, you're not so good at that shot. You mm-hmm. should stop doing it. Get feedback from others. Ask them to play devil's advocate. Ask them to debate you, to help you see unintended consequences. Maybe they even agree with you, but you're saying, okay, help me see what I'm not seeing though. Being an intelligent risk taker doesn't mean just closing your eyes and ignoring the facts and ignoring your partners. You've got to confront all the brutal facts and you should ask everyone and their dog for (laughs) feedback. You should hunger for them. Mm -hmm. 
right? And then you don't necessarily make a decision based on consensus, but you've gathered all the feedback. You have all the brutal facts in front of you. And then the second thing I think that really is important for for making it an intelligent risk is the principle of firing bullets before cannonballs, Mm -hmm. right? Test the waters. Don't use all your gunpowder on the cannonballs until you know the bullet's going to hit the target. Try try your risk in a small area and then learn lessons before jumping all in. We don't want to do things the way they've always been done. We don't want to get caught on, you know, the healthcare calf path. And right. you know the poem, the, the calf path. But right. But we shouldn't just jump off and run crazy. Seek feedback, test the waters, be smart, and then look to do things the way they've never been done. Hmm. And to do that as leaders, if you want your housekeepers and laundry workers to have that attitude, you've got to be willing to create that safe space for errors to occur, which, again, in a highly regulated environment is not an easy thing to do. No, it, it is hard. And, and I can't say I want people um, making mistakes <laughs> and, it, and it feels like it is my no, job I to can't. make sure they don't I make don't. any. Yeah. Um, so having them feel free to try new things that could cause, could cause problems uh, is a scary thing, especially in, in, in such a heavily regulated industry. Yeah. Um, so the next one, celebration. So we like to party, right? Yeah, that's I why think you sometimes that that's what people think celebration means. And I, I, I won't spend a whole lot of time on this one because it's the one I'm the worst at, <laughs> I think. But um, really, to me, if if I had to, some people say ownership and accountability or love one another. And if I were to roll two core values together, for me, it would be celebration and accountability. Because to me, celebration is something went right, we have the results to prove it, and now we're going to hold you accountable for that thing going right. Celebration to me is positive accountability. Yeah, I don't think of celebration as celebration for celebration's sake. Like, hey, it's Tuesday. It's Woo-hoo! time to celebrate, right? You know, let's put some streamers in the... It, it, it to me, and maybe it is. I, I don't know. I'm certainly not good at that. But for me, celebration is the belief that when things go right, we need to shine a bright light on those things and enjoy the accomplishments, whether they be big or small. Uh, that's that's cool. I know I've seen, um, we've seen in our department that even with the uh, COVID and social distancing and separation that's occurred, um, holding things like a virtual pizza party and, and other things like that have just gone along way and really acknowledging yeah the, you the didn't you didn't use the pandemic as an excuse to not practice celebration i think that went a long yeah. way with your team to yeah, know I hope that so. hey people are acknowledging yeah, I hope so. what we're doing here okay i feel like we've talked about the last one um <laughs> a, a lot uh, uh, particularly the two and i have two podcasts on ownership and extreme ownership yeah, the caffeinated so, <laughs> version <laughs> so maybe uh briefly summarize ownership for us yeah, I don't know if I can. I don't. I was just going to make a. I was going to make a comment about <laughs> you in brief and ownership. I, do your like, best. Do your best. It's Clayton. my. I, I've asked the question before to leaders: if you could wave a magic wand and have your operation be perfect in just one core value mm-hmm. and have it make the you know maximum effect, which would you choose? And I get all sorts of answers. My my magic wand answer is ownership. If I believe if I were running an operation and um, and everyone were owners in that operation, mm-hmm. I just think the drastic effect. And by the way, you can be a renter and a really hard worker, there, but but there's a difference. And uh, and 
let me let me I, I here's some questions that I came up with that kind of help you do your own ownership assessment. Okay. Okay, so let's say you're in a cluster and you've pushed a cluster partner in every way you could think of to make changes in their operation and they didn't make those changes. Because of this, they have poor performance results. Do you own those poor performance results? That's a great question, Clay. <laughs> right? I mean, th there's there's a valid reason there for saying, no, I can wash my yeah. hands of that ownership. It's, it's very similar to the school teacher example that I've shared a lot. Your school teacher that passionately teaches and wants to prepare your students for an exam, you, you're up late nights, you love these students, you do everything you possibly can. The student parties the night before the exam, doesn't <laughs> fails. study, uh, fails the exam. Does the school teacher own those test results? An extreme owner says, yes, yeah. right? Yeah. But 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 I think most of us have a feeling, well, there's a limit to my ownership. There's things that I can't own, and that's that's not I, fair. I think I did everything I could, so thus I yeah. can't Wash my own hands the negative it, results. And there's nothing I can do. Okay, so that's that's ownership assessment question number one. Number two. Let's say let's say you're in a different department other than the nursing department in a okay. facility. Do you own the results of your nursing department even though you're not a nurse? Or therapy or business office or, or marketing? Or are you a victim to those departments? Oh, we're doing our part. Mm -hmm. If they would just do theirs, then, then we would raise our senses. Everything or whatever. would be okay. But that's a victim. An owner is the opposite of a victim. The buck stops with them. They're 100% responsible. They, An owner tells themselves, I have not been effective at influencing mm. the nursing department to, to be better or the therapy department or, or, or whichever. When you communicate with people, do you communicate with your partners in a timely and detailed manner? Because look... An owner reaches out with complete vulnerability and provides the details that both give confidence to their partners as well as an ability for their partners to best help them. A, a, renter, a renter communicates for communication's sake. Oh, I'm they supposed to send them this yeah. report or I'm supposed to tell them this or I need to. But an owner communicates because they have an absolute drive for results. They're sharing this because they're saying, help me. And, and they're saying, I want you to be my partner. I, I, and they know that others are relying on them. And, and an owner feels that. And, and so they communicate because of, of how crucial that communication is, not because it's something they need to check off their list. Um, here's one. Let's say you get a, a credit card and, and uh, you go out for a meal that is covered by your facility's credit card. Okay. It's a legitimate business expense. How much is how much you spend determined by what you think your approval approver will approve? Or do you treat that money like it's your own? <laughs> it's a great question. Right? It's a great question. I've is, heard you is, mention is this Is it before. how much it's I can get away great. with? Because an owner right. says, well, you know, a renter says, oh, we've got the company credit card. Let's right. get appetizers. And there's going to be a bunch of waste. And it doesn't matter because right. the company is paying for it. The owner says, That's my let's money. just get what we need yeah. and, and you know, not be something that is, you know, frivolous or, or crazy or something like that. Does what you spend decrease if you were going to be using your own money and and an owner essentially treats the company expenses as their own? Okay. Are you looking for the best, most convenient situation for you within your organization? Or are you anxious to go where the best opportunities to help are no matter how inconvenient? Hmm. 
It's a good one. An it's owner one. does what needs to be done, right? An yeah. owner doesn't say what's in it for me. In fact, it it kind of goes, I'll, I'll, I'll skip to one of these. That's sort of the JFK test. Uh, do you constantly ask what more your organization can do for you? Or are you always trying to figure out what more you can do for your that's organization? Great, that's a great line. Right? And then that's, I'll tell line. you who JFK was after yeah, this. We'll uh, break that down later. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's sort of that idea of, of uh, look, I, I'm – an owner is saying, what else can I do to build this organization? A renter is saying, what else can this organization do to, to benefit me? Mm-hmm. When difficult changes need to be made in your organization, are you quick to make them as if it were your own money being spent on the failure? Or do you resist making those changes until you absolutely have to? Another good question, <laughs> right? I mean, it's 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 this this idea that when it's your own money, when you're playing with a live grenade, mm-hmm. that example I've used in other podcasts, things get real. Yeah. But sometimes, as a renter, we hesitate. Oh, I don't want to do it yet, but I've got all this pressure. Okay, finally, I'll do it. Dragging my feet, a renter may still make those changes. An owner does them in a timely manner because they know it's absolutely essential. And then here's just a couple more. I know I'm getting long-winded on this one. Uh, When something difficult gets in the way of your goals, do you throw your hands in the air and justify your own failure through valid excuses? Or do you consider those brutal facts that must be confronted and overcome? I've, I've, I've used this example. I've compared this uh, at the last annual meeting. I shared the example of the last operation that I ran uh, in Tucson where I walked away feeling like a failure. Um, and But I, I, I had my excuses that I sort of kept in my pocket that helped protect my ego. Mm-hmm. It was a tough facility. It had a bad reputation. It had been mm-hmm. through so many IJs and all of these other things that had happened. And, and that protected my ego versus when I left and eventually owned my own home healthcare company, mm-hmm. And I ran into similar failures and and problems, but I had to confront those failures (laughs) because I was cutting personal checks to cover payroll. And, you know, I can I can complain about those excuses all I want. That doesn't put food on my table. And so I had to confront those as an owner, as brutal facts, instead of just saying, well, I'm failing, but these are my excuses and that protects my my pride and my ego. Hmm. An owner isn't worried about pride and ego. It's only worried about you know, the, the success, right? Yeah. And then similarly on that one, it, you know, if imagine you leave a department that is, is uh, or an operation, and maybe it's succeeding or it's failing, but, but when you leave, it, um, it gets worse. A renter sort of feels pride in that. Like, oh, look how hmm. good I was. It got worse right. after I left. Yeah. An owner wants nothing but success, so let's say I'm failing and I'm asked to step out of a department and somebody comes in and succeeds. An owner's going to be happy that that yeah. next person's succeeding. Yeah, that makes sense. A renter is going to feel disrespected mm-hmm. and, and almost hurt that the next person succeeded. And so there's just sort of questions that you can ask yourself that, um, that, that help kind of gauge what kind of mentality you have. And, and hopefully you'll see that there is some... Uh, renter in in all of us that that we need to kind of get out. Um, 
I, I know that was long. Ryan, can that, I share one was, more thing on ownership? <laughs> one more thing, and, and I wanted to thank you for the extra um, brief summary that you've provided yeah, over ownership I, here. I so thank you. It's, it's a good one, though. <laughs> it is a good right? one. It is a good one. Otherwise, we just have Kaplik, and, and we, <laughs> we need that final O. You know, I, I just I want to share this, this parable. It, it, it's called the Parable of the Oranges. And um, it, it's a story about this young man who really wanted to work for this company because it was very prestigious and it paid well. Mm-hmm. And he, he got the job at an entry level position. And and then once he had that job, he started turning his ambition to his next goal, which was a supervisor position that would you know, be even more prestigious and have even more pay. And so he completed the tasks that were given to him. He He came early to meetings and he stayed late so that the boss would see him putting in long hours, right? <laughs> After five years, this supervisor position became available. And the young man was very distraught because another employee who had been with the company for six months was given the promotion. Wow. And he thought that was unfair. He was angry. He went to the boss and he said, what gives? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, I, I want an explanation. The boss said, okay, before I answer your question, we do a favor for me. Okay, said the employee. Would you go to the store and buy some oranges? My wife needs them. The young man agreed and he went to the store. And when he returned, the boss asked, okay, so what kind of oranges did you buy? Well, I don't know. The young man answered, you, you just said to buy oranges and these are oranges. So here they are. Well, how much did they cost? The boss asked. I'm not sure, but you gave me $30. Here's your receipt and, and here's your change. Okay, thank you, said the boss. And then he said, I want you to have a seat and pay attention. <laughs> he's, about to, he's about to be taught a lesson, right? So the boss calls in the employee who had received the promotion and he asked him to do the same job. And he readily agreed and went to the store. Mm-hmm. When he returned, the boss asked, what kind of oranges did you buy? Well, The store had many varieties. There were navel oranges, Valencia oranges, blood oranges, tangerines, and many others. And I didn't know which kind to buy, but I remembered you said your wife needed the oranges, so I called her. She said she was having a party and that she was going to make orange juice. So I asked the grocer, which of all these oranges would make the best orange juice? And he said the Valencia orange was full of very sweet juice. So that's what I bought. I dropped them by your home on the way back to the office, and your wife seemed pretty happy. How much did they cost? The boss asked. You already see yeah. the difference, uh, right? Well, <laughs> oh, there's well, a difference. <laughs> well, well, that was another problem. I didn't know how many bu- how many to buy, so uh, I once again called your wife and asked her how many guests she was expecting. She said 20. I asked the grocer how many oranges would be needed to make juice for 20 people, and it was a lot. So I asked the grocer if he could give me a quantity discount, and he did. Those oranges normally cost 50 cents each, but I paid only... Uh, they, they normally cost 75 cents each, but I paid only 50 cents. So here's your change and, and here's the receipt. The boss smiled and said, thank you. You may go. <laughs> so he looked over at the other young man who had been watching. He stood up and slumped his shoulders and said, yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I see what you mean. And he, and he walked out of the office. That's right? awesome. So you think about what's the difference between these two young men. They were both asked to buy oranges and they both complied with the project. Right. But and you could say it's attention to detail or one went the extra mile or but I don't think it's that. Mm -mm. I think it has everything to do with real intent. And that real intent comes from ownership. Why am I doing the things that I do when you act as an owner? 
everything about you changes. You, you are seeking for the best possible outcomes, not because somebody is sitting over your shoulder and going to praise you and pat you on the back, but because you're driven by outcomes and you're driven by, by performance. And that's, that's what an owner does. Yeah, that's I'd I'd love the I've I've heard you share the uh, orange uh, story parable the before. Parable it's a great of one. the oranges. <laughs> it's I, it always uh, it's it not always a parable from true. the Bible because I'm not allowed to share stories from the Bible anymore. <laughs> I know who that shot out was for. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really thank you for spending the time talking talking today about uh, the core core value uh, Caplico with us. Um, and I've got to say I've I've been working here for 12 years now, and um, I still remember w- w- going through the interview. process process and first really talking about Caplico and hearing about it. It's something that uh, Tyler does with everybody that, that we interview. And, and um, sometimes people listen to him cynically and they think, oh, yeah. every company has these, it's, you know, fancy it, words. No, and it's, but- it's interesting. I, we've, we've talked to our different folks that we've hired and are, have been working here for years now. And it's in- interesting. They all sort of have a similar story where they hear in the interview, love one another and um, customer second, both are un- unusual takes, but they've yeah. worked at previous companies that talk about culture. And, and I think what they see the difference is just the way it's, it's lived and breathed every day here. We by, hold each other accountable yeah, by these yeah. core values. And it's, and it's interesting to see, they all have a kind of a story of, of when they went from having sort of the cynical, another cultural story to to seeing some example of it and and practice and and became believers and and you know really help us all become better at, at culture so really thank you clayton appreciate right, it thank you